All right. Sorry. There I am. Well, good morning. Um, what great words Jennifer just read. Um, we are going to uh, just hang out in the first two verses, <laughs> frankly, all morning. Um, because the rest of it is, is how everybody responded. I'd encourage you to go, and this has been John's theme as we've walked through this, right? What do you say? What do you say about what Jesus says? How do you, how do you respond to that, right? And John's uh, goal is that we would believe. I mean, he's very clear about this. We say it every week. What do you think? If, if Jesus said this, what then do you think? What's your interpretation, and, and how are you going to apply this into your life? And so um, you can read on, basically, from verse 39 on and, and, and go back and dig through that and see, and I'd encourage you to do that. Like, look to see how different people uh, answered, and it's, it's a very, some of it's devastatingly um, humanly, right? Like, there's no way somebody's going to come from Galilee. I mean, it's a very um, indignant, ignorant statement of geographic, like where people are from. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a horribly sad place that that's where the religious leaders were at. But that's not where we're going to spend our time this morning. We're going to spend our time in verses 37, 38, and 39, where Jesus tells us very clearly, very simply, how to be saved. And it, it could not really be any simpler than what we're going to talk about this morning. And, and maybe you're coming at this and you're going, well, I'm here, I believed in Christ my entire life, I am saved. I think what we're going to see this morning is that there is a saving that we need every, more, every day. That, that there is a, there's a, a that we have to... Um, actually apply it into our lives every day. We have to choose to apply. We're, we're saved once, right? Like, like we place our trust in Christ and that's it. And we are forever redeemed, adopted children of God. But yet every morning we do what? We rebel. <laughs> every day we, we walk our own path. And so what he's going to say is, are you thirsty? Are you thirsty? And this applies for us every day. Um, so I want you to think about that. That's going to be what we're going to walk through as we get all the way through this this morning. But um, first, let me start by praying. Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your son. Thank you for the good news. It is so simple. And frankly, God, we, um, we have a hard time with how simple it is. We have a hard time um, actually believing that the path to you is simply one of humility and trust. But we, we lay aside what we, what we think it should be, and we, we come before you, Father. And I pray that this morning as we walk through your word that you would um, that you would soften our hearts, that you would open our eyes and ears and help us to understand it. I pray that anything that I say that you don't want me to say, I pray that you would shut my mouth and anything that you want me to say, that, that it would pierce hearts, that you would do the work that only you can do, and that's to change our affections. We love you, Father, and we pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. 
So I'm Jonathan. I'm one of the pastors. If I have not met you, I would echo the same thing Jennifer said. I'd love to meet you uh, at some point, but um, there's gift bags in the back. We'd love to get one in your hands so that you can reach out to us and we can um, figure out how we can best love you guys and pray for you and serve you and, and all those things. Um, we are a, a fairly intimate church, um, and it's a beautiful thing to watch um, a body of Christ interact. I, I will tell you, like, I, I saw uh, a couple people, like, just, you know, hug that I go, I don't think they knew each other six months ago, you know? And, and that's the, our, our unity is not in where we come from. It's not in our, our, where we are, our estate in life or anything of that nature. It is simply a unity that's found in Jesus Christ. And that is such a beautiful thing. Um, and something that I think we need to remind ourselves over and over again because it's so easy, especially in this world right now, to pick a side and to go one place or another and to go and create division and be about division. But, but here in this place, in the presence of Christ, we are united, and, and we are united in one thing in particular, and that's that we all desperately need Jesus every day in our lives. And so... Um, so I have to have a glass of water by my bed at night. I have to. Is this, is this anybody else in here? Seriously, like raise your hand if you're like, okay. The rest of you are weird, but um, it's, and I don't even understand it because like if I don't put a glass of water by my bed at night, I will wake up in the middle of the night parched, like dying of thirst. But if I do, I rarely drink it. And I don't know, I, it's like a security blanket or something. I don't, I don't know how that applies for me. But, but thirst is something that's, that's incredibly, like, real. And, and frankly, we don't, I thought about having, like, water up here and maybe, like, not having any water or coffee and, see, you know, see if I can make you guys thirsty all sermon. You know what I mean? Um, but thirst is a real thing. We can all relate to it, right? We can sit here and go, yeah, I've been thirsty, um, I think science says, and this is all in like my, in my military boot camp training, like if you're thirsty, you're already dehydrated. You know, you should never be thirsty. And I'm like, well, then I'm always dehydrated. Um, but that's, that's the necessary consequence of coffee, which is okay. Um, so anyway, so, so what Jesus is going to say is he's going to talk about us being thirsty, okay? But we got to understand the context. We got to understand where, what is happening. And here's what's super cool about this. So it says in the beginning of chapter 7, it talks about that, that the Feast of Booths was at hand. And then at the very beginning of this, um, it says on the last day of the feast, the great day. That is the Feast of Booths, the Feast of Tabernacles. It's called Sukkot. It starts today, actually, which is super cool. I was like, no kidding. I, maybe I should have been off by like one week, and then it could have been the last day of the feast. But... Um, but it's no kidding, it starts today for um, Israel, for the Jews. And, and so what they do is, is they build, uh, I, I spent more time than I should have, frankly, uh, researching this feast and like what they presently do. And, and I mean, they build booths, they, they build little huts where they can see the stars. Um, so they put like foliage and stuff over the top and it's walled um, and they live in them for seven days. And then the eighth day, uh, and so it goes Sunday to uh, their Sabbath, and then there's a little festival that happens on the, on the, the last and greatest day, um, and it's a celebration. 
It's like, it is the, and, and I, I, ignorantly, I'm doing all sorts of research on the feasts of Judaism, right? As I'm trying to like research this. And it is like the joyous feast. Like, I know we all, if, if you're uh, not from a Jewish lineage, um, you're probably like, oh, I, I think Hanukkah is probably their uh, big thing. And it's not. It's not at all like, I mean, maybe it's the most commercialized, but, but it's not. It's actually, this is like the most joyous one. And what is it celebrating? It's celebrating their wandering in the desert for 40 years. Sounds like a great celebration, right? It's celebrating God's provision. It's celebrating that God somehow in his miraculous, all-powerful, all-knowing self kept two million Jewish people alive in a desert for 40 years. Like, just step back for a second and go, yeah, that seems somewhat miraculous, right? And what do you do? And you can go back and you can read, like, like the manna that he brought down from heaven. Every morning they'd wake up and the dew was basically bread, and they could eat it. And that was their nourishment. And then there, on two separate occasions, uh, God has Moses get water out of a rock, which is just incredible, right? Just, just from at, at just normal, that's weird. I don't know how water comes from a rock, but, but it did because God wanted it to, which is just awesome. And he takes them and he moves them around so that they survived. He took them where there were places where there were springs. And in fact, there's one of these springs, it's called the Spring of Gihon, that's just outside the Jerusalem walls. And there's a bunch of history to this spring. And in fact, at some point, they actually build out the walls around the spring so that they could have this fresh water. So here's what's interesting. Has, has anybody in here been to the Dead Sea? Okay. Dude, it is... I said dude. I'm sorry. <clears throat> Bra. Um, so I might get only one up it, right? You cannot put your head under the water at the Dead Sea. Like, you float, right? It's all salt. This is just on the east side of Jerusalem. Um, so this was the water, right, that was around. Like, not water you can drink. In fact, if that water got anywhere closer, your eyes just start tearing. Your, your nose is running. I mean, it is, it is horrible. It is not an enjoyable experience at all. So you're certainly not dunking your head in that, and you're definitely not drinking it. And yet here's this spring of Gihon that's right there just outside of Jerusalem. And so there's a bunch of history to this. Um, in fact, King Hezekiah, during the siege where Assyria is trying to take over Jerusalem, he built, he, in preparation, he builds out around this thing, and then he ends up running, builds a, a tunnel into other parts of the city so they have access to the spring water. So this, this idea that water in the desert is obviously essential for life. This idea that during the siege, it was fundamental for them to survive. And all the towns around Jerusalem got waylaid by Assyria, but Jerusalem stood. And so in each of these instances, right, and we know this to be true, but there's, there's water that is this fundamental piece, and they understood this. And so what they ended up doing is after Solomon's temple was built, they had this thing called a um, <coughs> sorry water drawing ceremony. It's not, it's not uh, directed in the Old Testament, but as far as records go back, they did this during the Feast of Booths. And what they would do is the priest, on the very first morning, so this morning, the priest got up 
left the temple with, with loud just exclamation and, and trumpets and, and all of these things. And he goes, he, he's testifying to this, that this is just this incredible, amazing time. And he goes down to the pools of Siloam. He goes down to these pools and he takes up the water and he brings it back into the temple. And it's the most joyous time because they are, no kidding, just celebrating God's preservation. That God alone provided for them, that he sustained them, that he gave them water when they needed it most. That when they were thirsty, when they were desperate, when they had nothing else, God provided. And that's what they were celebrating. And this is, so when he says that, when it says that Jesus got up on the last and greatest day, it was truly the greatest day of celebration for them. And the priest would grab the water and he would pour it out on the altar. And it was like the very first sacrifice that was given and that it was provided that everybody understood that God had sustained them for 40 years in the desert, that God provides for them. And so this is the day that Jesus gets up. And then look at what he says. Well, actually, before that, it says that uh, it says on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out. This is not a time for teaching. Okay, during this feast, like they would go back into their homes and they would go read God's word and they would spend time, but this was a time for them to just celebrate God. And so, what Jesus does is he hops up on the stage. He stands up in front of everybody. While the priest is pouring out this water, Jesus stands up and he cries out. That word for crying out, you know where that's used? The demons cry out in the presence of Jesus. The blind man cries out for Jesus as he walks by to heal him in a way that nobody else could heal him. The disciples are on the boat and when the storm is overtaking them, what do they do? They cry out to God for help. Jesus, in his final breath, cries out to his Father. This is a passionate plea of salvation, a plea to understand. And so Jesus stands up as they're doing all this stuff with this water that, that satisfies thirst a little temporarily. We talked about this last week, right? He goes, no, that's not it. Come find salvation. Come find a, a thirst that, or come find a, a, a place where your thirst can be quenched eternally. So he says, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. If you have your Bible, I would just underline that, post it somewhere in your house, in your car, Keep it in front of your face because this, this is salvation. And he starts off with thirst. There's one thing that if you're, a, if you're a believer in Christ in here or if you want to know what it is to believe in Christ, that's it, thirst. Do you thirst? And I'm not talking about like do you want water right now, which maybe you all do because we keep talking about it, but do you have a soul thirst? I know the answer. <laughs> the answer is you do. 
We all do. But what do we do with that thirst? Where do we go to satisfy the thirst? See, here's the irony behind this. It's a spiritual thirst. And what do we do? We go grab earthly things to try to quench a spiritual deficiency, an emptiness, a God-shaped chasm in our hearts that only he can fill. And we know this. All these things are temporary. They're fading. They're fleeting, right? You, you drink some water. If you're thirsty right now, you drink some water, you'd be good. An hour from now, you're going to have to go back. You're going to have to get some more water. Food? You see, those things are a little bit different, but when we start getting into how do we fill our spiritual thirst, you know what we go to? Success, identity, respect. Those are the places where we feel like they fill because they're so close. They're so similar to the thirst-quenching nature of Jesus Christ. They're close because they feel like they last a long time. It feels like when I start getting respect or success or worth or identity that those things will stay with me. And as you get older, you start to realize those things are pretty empty. They're good for a time. Here's the, here's the biggest irony, and I would argue probably one of the best claims to the existence God, that we have an insatiable need. There's nothing that can satisfy us. Am I right? There's nothing. There's nothing on this earth that can satisfy us. We go to all these places, all these different things, but there's only one person that can satisfy us, and that's Jesus Christ. And so this is where we, like, we're, we're so twisted we're so confused because we go to these different things. And, and Jesus identifies it. And he goes, if anyone, anyone, any person, there is nobody that this doesn't apply to. Just think about that for a second. Think about that from God's omniscient standpoint. There is nobody. How about the Apostle Paul? He murdered some people. There is nothing that you have done. There is nothing that you will do that can separate you from the love of God. You guys realize that? This is a call to everybody. And he says that he goes and he seeks out the lost sheep. It's not just that God's standing there passively going, well, if you want to walk away, you can walk away. He actually, I mean, we just sang reckless love, right? That's a love of God that, that we don't even understand, that he seeks us out, that he hunts us down to rescue us. Can we fathom this? This is the anyone. He goes, are you thirsty? Any of you? So here's Jesus in the middle of this feast, and he goes, who wants some real water? Who wants your thirst really quenched? He says, come. Come. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. That's the action on our part. Come to me. He doesn't say, clean yourself up. He doesn't say, become more moral first. At least move yourself in some place where you're cleaned up and you're nice enough and you're kind enough and you're, 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 you're something I can work with. That's not how God works. 
In fact, that, that actually is the opposite of how God works, right? He takes the things that are nothing, the things that are discouraged, the things that are dis, uh, just completely wrecked. He takes those things and he says, watch this. Watch what I'm going to do here. Watch what I'm going to do with the Apostle Paul. I mean, if we don't have a great example of that, what are we going to, what am I going to, watch what I do with David. Watch what I'm going to do in your life. He says, all you do is, have to do is come to me. What a beautiful thing. So, so if Jesus was here right now, what would that look like? Well, hopefully we would all be running towards him. Maybe you'd be walking towards him. Maybe some of us would be crawling towards him. But we would physically be going towards him. I hope, right? But he's not here physically, and so here you are in your seats, and here I am, blabbing, right? So how do we come to Jesus? And this is the part where people struggle, because they go, yeah, I've got this thirst, but what do I do with it? How do I solve it? How do I actually appropriate this? How do I, how do I take this, this thirst that I have and take what I know about Jesus Christ and actually like connect them? Come to me with your heart. Come to me in humility. Come to me. Like, this is what Jesus is saying. Come to me recognizing your thirst. That's it. God, I, I can't solve this thirst on my own. I've tried. Some of us have tried our entire lives. Some of us have, most of us, all of us, frankly, have gone other places to find that satisfaction. So we come to him and we go, I'm laying all that aside, God. I know that that does not quench thirst. I want you and you alone, but I don't know what that means. And he goes, don't worry, you don't have to. This is my job now. I got it. We don't have to understand it. And you're not going to walk away from that interaction, that, that prayer time, that quiet, whatever monologue you're having in your brain right now when you're going to Christ. It doesn't mean that like, something's going to just happen and you're going to like, you know, start levitating. or You know what I mean? Like Nothing's going to happen when this happens. God's going to start changing the affections of your heart. He's going to continue to change the affections And you're going to be a witness to the changing of the affections of your very own heart. And you're going to go, that's weird. I used to go to that. But it doesn't seem to be fulfilling anymore. It used to satisfy a little bit, but now it doesn't satisfy at all. Can we think of what that is in our lives right now and go, that's it. God, I want you to take that from me. I want you to make that not satisfying. That's the humility that we come to God in. And here's, here's what's just so absolutely incredible. The fact that those things satisfy us a little bit, I think is God's message to us that there's more. Think about it for a second, Right? You do the Thanksgiving gluttony, you know, whatever, right? You fill your stomach. You're like, ugh, everything's great. Maybe you're on vacation. Just contentment is just oozing out of every pore. And you're just like, 
Life is amazing. There's unicorns and rainbows, coconuts as far as the eye can see. Everybody's dancing around. You know, like everything's great. And you're like, this is amazing. My life is wonderful. And then (laughs) you go back to work. Something happens, chaos, sin, depravity of the world, and it all comes crashing down. And God goes, you know what you had before? (laughs) That's what I have for you eternally and ten times more. Because in the presence of God is contentment that this world can never provide. And this is what Jesus is saying, just come to me. Come to me and experience this because it is so good. It is so choice. It is so amazing. And so all of these little gifts that God gives us in this world are gifts. They're, they're to, for us. They are. The sun rises, the sun sets, the beauty, the enjoyment of this world short of sinfulness is for God to grant us gifts to enjoy, to taste a little bit of what he has in store for us in eternity. And so it's intended to make us more thirsty. It's intended for us to know what it's like to lose our thirst and then it come back again. God gives us these gifts so that we experience a little bit of contentment and then we lose it. Not because he's cruel to us, but he wants us to see him as the exclusive source. And so what does he say? He says, come to me, come to me, and what? Drink. Drink. It does not, it is not sufficient for us to know that Jesus is our Savior. You got to drink. You got to trust him. Really trust him. When things don't make sense, trust him. When things hurt, trust him. When you can't satisfy your thirst or your hunger, you can't pay your bills, you trust him. That's what he means by drink. And we read this last week, right? Where Jesus says, you know, my my flesh is true food, my my blood is true drink. He's, he's saying that there's spiritual nourishment, that this world cannot provide anything that is any, going to get anywhere close to satisfying you. Drink from me. Dwell in my word. Be nourished. Come to me for your solutions. Warner actually talked about it to the band this morning. How often do we wake up in the morning? And we pursue other things right away. Or, or in our lives, we, we find our own solutions instead of going to Jesus to drink and to say, God, I know that you alone can satisfy. And so while I'm pursuing these things in the world, God, if that's not how you want me to be satisfied, then I want you to take it from me because I want to be satisfied the way you want me to be satisfied. I want to find a peace and a contentment that you want me to find, not in some aberrant, some superficial, some fleeting way. I want true satisfaction and true contentment in you. See, I think fundamentally, when we go to Christ, 
and we drink. He provides us with peace. It's not a magic wand. And I think sometimes we think that as Christians, that God's just going to magically just make everything work out great. That life is just going to step through and no roadblocks, smooth paths. And everybody in here that's been a Christian for a long time is like, yeah, that doesn't work. <laughs> it's not true. And yet somehow we think of that. We convince ourselves of that. The reality is, is that he promises us peace. He promises us peace in the midst of chaos. He promises us success in the midst of failure. These are the things that God promises us. And so when things are happening, we have peace. And that's a heart condition. That's what God provides us. And so we stay above the water. Right? We, we, stay, we keep our heads above the water, not because we do it, but because God does it for us. And so if you're looking for how do I respond in the midst of sorrow, God gives us joy. Why? Because we know there's more. Because we know there's eternity. We have hope. We have hope in a risen Savior. We have hope in Jesus Christ who rose from the grave, who conquered death, not just for his own, but for us. Exclusively for us. He conquered death. And so we can have joy. Paul says, what can this world do to me? What, what, could, what could possibly happen? I die. I go be with Christ. I live. I serve God and I watch his work. Where's the bad option? That's the mindset that we ought to have. That's what drinking from Christ looks like. It gives us a peace that we have strength in the midst of weakness, that God provides us with everything that we need. And you know what? That peace is seen. That peace is seen in the world. This is God does not do this just for you. He's not trying to just fill you up, give you water. I... I, I I don't know, a long time ago, I did a, a demonstration here of like, you know, God pours water into us, right? Like there's this filling up that he does. But he fills it up so that it overflows. We're intended to leak. We're, we're like, no offense, Kevin, but we're like the cups that we now have that leak on the bottom, right? I don't know, double up. Public service announcement. <laughs> we're intended to leak look at what he says in verse um, uh, 38 whoever believes in me as the scripture has said out of his heart will flow rivers of living water do you see the purpose there this is so beautiful because God, Jesus goes let me, let me explain to you how you can receive salvation okay great now it's not about you out of, out of you, that, that word heart actually isn't heart. It's actually like stomach. Uh, in, in, uh, in this time and day, it was like your innermost being, your gut, is probably a better translation. Out of your gut will flow rivers of living water. What he's saying is your essence, your life, who you are, 
These same living waters will flow out from you. Why? He isn't saying that you're going you're gonna to leak and become deficient. He's saying that you are a part of God's plan of redemption for this world. The world is going to see you and interact with you and in your conversations and in your interactions. What will they see? They will see this living water. They will see your peace. I mean, this is it, you guys. It's peace that you'll experience. And so when you're experiencing this peace, the world is going to go, why are you so happy? Why do you have joy right now? Your life is a train wreck. Aren't you worried about this? Aren't you concerned about this? And you go, why? 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 There's an eternity at stake here. This has nothing to do with, this has nothing to do with anything. Everything here is fleeting and fragile and falling apart. We see this. This is what he says. And so these living waters are going to come out from us and this peace is going to pervade around us and people are going to see you, see your interaction, not to give you credit because you did nothing to do it. <laughs> you, you had nothing, you're just a vessel, right? Look in verse 39. It says, now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Those living waters he's talking about come from what? It's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit He's the one that changes our heart. He's the one that gives us peace. He's the one that convicts us and reminds us and counsels us and reassures us. He's the one that, that's a deposit for our inheritance that reminds us that we have an inheritance waiting for us in heaven. It's the Holy Spirit that does this. And it's the Holy Spirit that produces the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. I think I missed one but whatever they are, right? Like this is what the Holy Spirit produces in our lives. Why? For us to be known as great people? No. I'm sinful. Don't, don't be like me. Be like him. Be like Jesus Christ. Now you can walk the path that our fellow followers of Christ walk, right? A, a path of repentance and conviction and joy and peace. And so Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. That's totally legit, right? He's not saying he's sinless. He's saying, no, this is a life of repentance and trust and humility. Come, come follow me. Come follow me to the cross. Because it's at the foot of the cross that we experience this peace. Now, prior to this, the Holy Spirit had come upon people. And we read this all throughout the Old Testament. So it's not that the Holy Spirit hadn't been around. What does he say? The Holy Spirit had not yet been given. It's a gift. God gives us his Holy Spirit to dwell inside of us forever. You guys get this? It's a gift. 
And this is when, when we believe and we go and we drink and we, we come to Christ. He, Jesus says, when I'm glorified, you want me to leave, right? He says this, uh, I think it's John 17. You want me to leave because when I leave, I'm going to send what? The counselor. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to you, and he's going to be inside of you. He's going to be with you. He's going to be inside of you. Like, the disciples enjoyed Jesus' presence, certainly. But Jesus goes, I have something better than that. I can give you something better than that. I can give you God himself dwelling inside of you, producing rivers of living water, producing the fruit of the Spirit, so that what the world would be redeemed through his church, through his people. Let's just think about this for a second from a very humble place. Because God in his omniscience and omnipotence, chooses to use us as his hands and feet here in this world. That means we don't get to choose to do the things that we want to do. It means we do the things that he wants us to do. I know that flies in the face of your individualism and your own self-determination of what you think your life is about. But this is very clearly what he says. He's going to give us his Holy Spirit so that we would live to build his kingdom. And it's a beautiful place. Because in that place, that kingdom will never fall, that kingdom will never tarnish, that kingdom will never fade, and so we have peace. And so when we look at this from a perspective of what thirst do I have, he goes, I hope you're thirsty because I have something that can satisfy like nothing else. Let me read for you Psalm 63. Just an incredibly beautiful psalm that speaks to this, and I don't have the verses up there, so you'll have to just listen or, or turn to it yourself. This is David. He says, O oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. As in a dry and weary land where there is no water, so I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory, because your steadfast love is better than life. That's how David found his peace. God's steadfast love is better than anything this life can provide. Let me pray. Father, we thank you 